0: Ecclesiastes 6, verse 1. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity, it is a grievous evil. Even though he should live a thousand years, twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the same place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool, and what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? This is the word of the Lord. Well, once again we turn our attention to the preacher in Ecclesiastes. As you heard from the announcements, this will be our last sermon in Ecclesiastes for some time as next week we begin our Advent series. I think we've done well, though, in our time, our work through this wonderful book. We've seen lots of different ideas, often philosophical or existential. Preachers not afraid to speak hard truths to us and help us to confront the difficult questions that we have dealt with in this life. Now much of our time here I've spoke about life under the sun. It's a repeated phrase by our preacher and have, I've used it quite often as well. It's generally been attached to the title of the sermon. And I was reminded this past week that I haven't actually defined the phrase in a, in a long while. I think I may have talked about it during our first or second sermon in Ecclesiastes, but now we're in chapter 6. And I've missed the opportunity to describe what life under the sun means for some time. So, allow me to give a brief description. When the preacher and I use this phrase, life under the sun, it's a description of all things that we can really see, hear, touch, taste, smell. It's, it's our senses. It's a description of the physical world around us. Life under the sun is a way to wrap up all that we have around us. It is all that our eyes can see with the sun shining The preacher speaks from the perspective of someone who has no knowledge of what's to come. There's no idea of what's past this. He even uses phrases in our passage this week about going into darkness. That they all go to the same place. The preacher says if someone speaks, uh, he speaks of someone who experiences this life and that's really all it is. This is what my senses have told me about it. He doesn't know what life is like beyond the sun. One thing he does know is that life under the sun is difficult. It's not easy. He's quick to point out the struggles to find purpose in this life. He's attacked mankind and their thoughts and the way they act in this life under the sun. He's attacked them in their pursuit of wealth, their work, the way they worship. And now we come to chapter 6. In our reading, we saw a critique of a number of different ideas. We saw wealth, we saw children, we saw age, food, even questioned goodness itself. So what is the preacher really trying to get to in the midst of this jumble of ideas, these critiques all around us? I think he's trying to get to fulfillment. If you look at verse three, he says, "His soul is not satisfied with life's good things." In verse seven, he says, "The appetite, or his appetite is not satisfied." See, these examples wish for fulfillment. They wish for satisfaction. So the preacher wants, wants us to ask the question, where do we find fulfillment in this life under the sun? I think he gives us three categories of critique in our pursuit of fulfillment. He gives us the material, he gives us the memorial, and he gives us the moral. Those are our three points for this morning. The material, the memorial, and the moral. That's three Ms. It's like M&Ms, but with one more. This is, this is what my life is like. Let's find out how satisfying these pursuits can be, really. We begin chapter 6 reflecting on all that we talked about last week. The pursuit of wealth was our topic last week, and the preacher picks up that idea. The material gain in this world, but he makes a little twist on it. Instead of battling against the idea of working for all the wealth, the preacher attacks the previous verses where he seemed to have put all of our hope on the gifts from God. Saying, you know, this is all gifts from God. Don't work for it. These are just gifts. That's how you'll find contentment and happiness. But verse 2 tells us that God gave man all these wonderful gifts. So he's already just put the level there. God's already given all these gifts to these wonderful men. He gives them wealth, possessions, honor. He lacks nothing that he desires, is what it says. And he has everything he wants. He's not pursuing it, it's all from God. But then he says, But he is not given the power to enjoy them. It's like some kind of cruel joke. Imagine getting everything you desire a well paying job to cover your expenses, a vacation from the drudgery of this exhausting year. A kitchen to make all the meals that you dreamed about making. You get all of that. And you get so much more. been gifted so many things. And in the end, you don't even actually enjoy the gifts. The job makes you feel too tired and bored because it's the same every single day. The vacation was not as restful as you had hoped it would be. You look at the kitchen and all you see are dirty dishes and enjoy the great gifts you get. Why would you make me take all these things, God? Why would you turn my stomach at the sight of these wonderful things you have given me? It's because something is missing. These items aren't as good as we hope for. There's something wrong. It doesn't make sense. This is what we always wanted, and now that we have it, we don't find fulfillment. We have this. Why? What is missing? What's going on? What's wrong? I think our previous verses give us the answer. The very end of chapter 5 tells us God will keep us occupied with the joy of our heart. And we said last week the joy of our heart is only found in Jesus Christ. So getting all the desires that we so desperately want will not give us joy. We will not get power to enjoy these great gifts from God. Unless our first and primary joy is found in God. Satisfaction found in the material world will always leave us empty. We will see that it doesn't bring the fulfillment we long for, even when we acknowledge that God has given it to us. We're still going to be longing for those gifts more than longing for God if we struggle. And say, thank you, God. Yes, you finally gave me my car. Thank you, you finally gave me my house. That's great. And then we place all of our hope into that house and car and we think, this isn't happy. And so what happens then? Well, someone else will find joy in them. Someone else will see all the great things we have been given and they will say something like, wow, isn't God great for giving you all these wonderful gifts? He's such a wonderful God. I'm so happy that I have a relationship with him. And then we hate that person because who says that? We get jealous of their joy. We start getting angry that we can't enjoy these great gifts from God. We become like children. Have you ever seen a child, two children fight over a toy? One grabs the toy and is so happy they have it. They're so excited. They're playing with this toy. And the next child sees that that child is enjoying that toy. is having so much fun with it. They walk up and they take it out of their hand. And they have it. And the second child It's sad for a second, and they go, you know what, I'm going to go find a new toy. And they grab this new toy, and they're happy, and they're excited. And that first child goes, I'm not as happy with this toy as I thought I was, but he's still happy. And so he drops that toy, and he goes, and he grabs the second toy and says, this is mine now. This is going to make me happy. And round and round we go. (laughs) See, one child's found joy in the act of playing The other child has found jealousy because they can't find that joy. We are that one who has that jealousy. We're that jealous child grabbing toys going, Why aren't I happy with this? What's going on? We're desperately searching for satisfaction through toys that will only lead to jealousy and hatred. Our preacher goes on. He doesn't just talk about toys. He doesn't talk about wealth. He talks more about finding satisfaction through materialism and the pursuit of food. Verses 7 through 9 talk about those who have an appetite that cannot be satisfied. Now, the preacher is speaking of food in a very general way. His language hints at more than just food. It's talking about work and drink, material gain, knowledge. The list really goes on. Because it's an appetite for things. In many ways, it's a grand pursuit that we are all in. A Grand Pursuit to Find pursuit, find Fulfillment. Have you ever gotten a desire for, for food? Some food that really stands out. Right? A craving that drives you mad until you get it. Now, Pregnant women are way too easy as a metaphor for me, so I have to just dive into it. Right? Pregnant women, they get cravings for pickles and peanut butter and bacon and weird salty, sweet mixes that I don't fully get. Now, when Jessica was pregnant with Noelle, she got cravings for peanut butter and chocolate malts from Culver's. Though, to be fair, I also had those cravings. And I still have those cravings because they're delicious. And I have no problem with her whenever she wants them because they're so good. But imagine having those cravings. Imagine getting your weird peanut butter and pickles or your, your Culver's peanut butter and chocolate mix. And once you got it, it's there. It's wonderful. You have the food that you so desire. And you're eating it, and you're realizing this is not what I want. You don't feel fulfilled. This isn't scratching the itch. That food wasn't what you desperately wanted. You feel unsatisfied. You said, I just wasted all those calories eating that. Why did I keep going? <laughs> and the preacher also goes beyond the idea of food. He asks, What's the difference between a wise man and a fool? Poor man conducting his life within the world of the living, which is another way of saying the rich, the wealthy, those who are living the life, are all pursuing something that will never give them satisfaction. It is the grand pursuit that ultimately leads to nothing. The wise man finds no benefit from his wisdom because with much wisdom comes much vexation, as he said earlier in the book. And the poor man simply trying to impress people that mean nothing because we will all end up in the grave, all end up in the same place. Proverb in verse 9 speaks to this pursuit. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering appetite. It's better to see what is in front of you than to long for more. It's better to sit in this world under the sun and see what has come of it than to look over the fence and chase after the wind. See, in our grand pursuit, we're trying to grasp what we can never hold on to, what we can never own. Our material possessions will never satisfy us. Our preacher doesn't talk about how these material possessions will all end up as dust just like we are. He doesn't make that time argument. What he says is we will just never find fulfillment. It's just not going to be there. Don't hope for it. We're going to spend our whole lives, even if we have it, we'll spend our whole lives wondering why it's not helping us, why it's not gripping us in any way, These items are in our hands and it's still not helping. It's going to drive us mad. These items, money, food, work, knowledge, they'll all fall by the wayside because they didn't give us what we needed, so we need to keep looking. What else is there? What brings us some kind of fulfillment? It brings us to our second point. Maybe we can find some satisfaction in the memorial, right? Let's look there. How do you find fulfillment in the memorial? This was my least favorite M. Age and children is what he talks about. Age and children. This one's going to be tough. It's also my shortest point because it is tough. It seems to be a good pursuit for many of us in this life. Parents whose kids are past the toddler age will tell people about how great children are. I like that one. I'm glad I got a laugh out of that one because that one makes me laugh. Because I have a toddler, so I get to laugh about that. The change every week Kids change every week. They're wonderful. They get new ideas. They pursue things. Sometimes every day they wake up and they're brand new. They say new words. You're like, what's going on? They get smarter. They grow in so many different ways. Plus there's the added benefit that they are small parts of you. You can see a part of you growing on past even your own life. You can see them growing into such great things. Grandparents have similar ideas. They see their kids have kids. And they know that the memories of life will continue on past them. Their lives and their stories become memorials for all that they have done. And in these moments, looking down the generations, they've found satisfaction in knowing that they've left some mark on the world. That's the promise we're given. According to our preacher, it's not actually true. You haven't found fulfillment you haven't found satisfaction. Age and, children will, age and children will not give you joy. It will not give you rest. Verses 3 and 4 are some difficult verses to interact with, as I said. A man has a, thousand, a hundred children, and he lives for many years, but his soul is not satisfied with the good things in life. So for the ancient Israels, children were a blessing from the Lord, a very literal blessing, that's what they call it. children are a blessing from the Lord. And age was a sign that you were blessed to live such long, wonderful years from the Lord. So to have lots of children and have long life means you have been doubly blessed, and your life should be full of joy. And the preacher says, "This man does not find joy." Think of the promises given to Abraham. Right? These are some of the greatest promises ever in the Bible. He was almost 100 and he was promised a child. He was then promised that his child would be the beginning of a great nation, that there would be as many children as stars in the sky or sand on the, in the sea. Right? His name and family were growing and growing and would become great in this world. It was a promise of the Lord and considered one of the greatest blessings ever. He was old and he, had a lot of, he was going to have a lot of descendants. The preacher is describing a man who has gotten... All that and then more. It says he lives for 2,000 years. He says he has children that are 100. 100 children. Abraham had one that passed down into more. And it says that his soul has found no satisfaction. In fact, he says a stillborn child is better off than this man. Why? Well, because the child has not suffered long in this life under the sun. The child is born in vanity or unknowable purposes, they have no desires, and leaves in darkness, and is covered in darkness. The man who lives to be a th- 2,000 with 100 children fails to enjoy the good in his life, and he ends up in the same place as that stillborn child. At least with the child, they did not have to suffer long. That's what the preacher is pushing for. That's a tough teaching. It's not easy. It's not an easy thing to say. It's not an easy easy thing to read. When I read this, I often think of the Lord of the Rings. And that's two Tolkien references two weeks in a row. It's good. King of Rohan, Theoden. He lost his son. He's standing next to the grave of his child. And he says a parent should never have to bury their child. Then he breaks down crying. King Theoden saw the horrors of the world. He saw the horror of the loss of a child. He wished it would have been him in the grave, not his son. Not only because he loved his son, but because it was the end of his name. It was the end of his house. He says as much. He had no other sons to carry on his lineage. His life would not be memorialized. Fulfillment was not found. He was putting his hope into something that that could be taken away from him. They hadn't suffered. He suffered greatly. Now I will say, as a side note, that's not how you counsel someone who has lost a child, by the way. You cry with them, you pray with them, you, you sit with them. You don't tell them that they should stop putting their hope in something that can be taken away. That's a terrible thing. But our preacher is all about hard truths. He's all about hitting that. And in age and in children, our pursuit of fulfillment leaves us with a soul unsatisfied. All that time and effort, all those happy memories of children growing up, of your name being passed down from generation to generation, can still be taken away from you. You will die, your child will die, your name will end, just as you will end. Better is the one who suffers for less time than the one who suffers greatly. Now, this is a bleak look at life, but this is the life under the sun. It's the preacher hitting hard. This isn't hope for more. You live and you die, and you end up in darkness. Do not hope for memorials. Do not put your hope in memories. Your age will not bring in more joy. Your name passed down will not mean things are going well for you. Kids and grandkids are wonderful gifts from the Lord, absolutely, but they will not satisfy your soul. Only make it ache more as you wonder why you don't feel fulfilled. But here's what's great about mankind. We are optimists. Oddly. We probably have to be. We think we'll be different. We think that when we are old enough to get to that point where we will find happiness, when our kids have kids, we'll finally be happy. Things will be great. Generations have passed. And yet... Each and every one of these people have found themselves wondering the same thing. Because what the preacher says right now makes sense. What is missing? Something is wrong. Why am I not fulfilled? What will push me over the top? What can get me there? Because something is missing. It brings us to our third point finding satisfaction in the moral. So after moving through material, moving through memorial, we come to the moral. Our search for satisfaction can take us many different ways. And it seems as though for the preacher, the moral fulfillment seems to be our last defense, the final line in this great pursuit. Verses 10 through 12 highlight the pursuit of morality as fulfillment. The preacher has laid out a long list of issues with this world. And finally, after all these issues, he pauses for a moment. And he asks this question. Who wants to argue with me? Who disagrees? Who wants to get in the ring with the preacher and say, no, you know what, there is something in this life under the sun that can give us fulfillment. Who wants to say, I can find fulfillment in this life. I can fix it. Give me enough years, enough money. I can find it, preacher. You're wrong. I can make things better. The preacher, preparing for the onslaught of the arguments, will quickly say, don't argue with me. Argue with God. He's the one who set up this world. He's the one that built it this way. Verse 10 tells us that what has come has already been named. God created it. He had Adam name it. We've seen this for years and years. If you don't want to argue with God, argue with history. This is what it's been like from the beginning. Beyond that, we know what man truly is, the preacher goes on. He is dust. He was created from dust. He will return to dust. We are weak. We are nothing in the sight of the one who holds the mountains in his hands. We are nothing to the one who controls the rivers and the oceans. Don't argue with the one who is stronger than you. Don't pick a fight with God. You'll lose. You'll end up in the wrong... You will not end up in the right place. This is all based upon this idea of dispute, right? The very end. This use of the word dispute in verse uh, 10, right there. It is known what man is that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Now the word dispute there is used a few different places throughout Scripture, but the most pertinent references are just a few books earlier. Job. Job 9, when Job is contemplating all the terrible things that have happened to him, and he wants to argue with God. He says, I should not dispute with the one who is greater than me. didn't turn out well for Job. It's not a fight we're going to win. If you think you can do better, you won't. Don't try and high-road God on some plan or moral compass that you think is better than his. This is where we start with our search for fulfillment with morality. We look around. We see all the issues that the preacher has brought up. We see the problems of this world. And instead of coming to the conclusion that our preacher says at the end of the book, which is to fear God and keep all his commandments... We say, no, no, you know what, no, I will make it better. I will find another way I can do this. And so you start with small things. Maybe make some food for a neighbor, knock on some doors, check to make sure everyone's doing all right, and it gets bigger. You start looking to your entire neighborhood, trying to help anyone in anything. You use your house as an after-school hangout for kids whose parents are still at work. Set up soup kitchens. You move further up, caring for your community. Maybe you run for city council. You can make a real change at the governmental level. Suddenly you're making homeless shelters. Making sure money is going to those who need it most. You're pursuing justice. That's what you want. You spend hours and hours making speeches, writing position papers, all trying to make a real change in this world. And then you get to the highest office in the country. You become president. You've worked so far. So hard. And finally you can do what needs to be done. Finally you can change this world for the better. And so you make more speeches. and You try to motivate more people. And you finish your illustrious career. And what happens? <laughs> Nothing. You feel empty. The world hasn't changed. There's still suffering. The present after you reminds, removes all of the work that you did. Imagine the work of the founders of this country. 1776, right? They're gathering together, they're arguing, saying we're going to pursue justice, we're going to work hard and do this. And they sacrifice their lives fighting off a country. And less than 100 years later, the country itself turns against each other and starts fighting. You think those founders would have felt as though their moral arguments were worth it? The world will keep on spinning. So after all that, you go through it. You're fine. Fine. You go through all of that. You really want to argue with the Creator. Preacher says it's not going to get you anywhere. You can shout. You can scream. You can beat your chest. But the more talk, the more vanity will consume you. The more you argue with God, the more meaning seems to slip out of your fingers. And you lose the grasp. It's so far from us. So we come to the logical conclusion of all of this. Verse 12. Who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life? Who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Material wealth won't bring me fulfillment. If long life and children don't bring me fulfillment. If I really can't make a moral difference... In this life under the sun, who knows and who cares what is good? Our pursuits are meaningless because they will never give us the ultimate desire of our hearts. And so we, like Pontius Pilate, standing before Jesus, start asking the question, what is truth? It's the point. And as we are trying to find fulfillment by making this world a better place or by looking under old stones of materialism or memorials, we missed how God has already done something to make this world a better place. In all our arguments and pontificating on what is truly good in this world, we miss how this question by the preacher at the end points us towards the one who can tell us what is good. We miss how it points us to the one who can tell us what comes after us. All our chasing after the wind, all our pursuit for fulfillment will give us nothing in the end. Just a life of vanity. But if we look beyond our material goods, if we look past our life and name as a memorial, if we drop our high-roading morality, we can find an answer that brings true fulfillment. It's found in Jesus Christ. And we're going to walk through this because the Bible is amazing. It can answer all of our pursuits, all the ones that he has set up here. It's amazing. In our pursuit for material fulfillment, we look to wealth and food. Those are the examples that our preacher has given us. So Peter writes in his first letter that our faith is more precious than gold. In Psalm 19, the words of the psalmist says that the words of the Lord are to be desired more than gold, even more than fine gold. You want wealth that will last You want a great fulfillment in money? The Bible tells us that the word of God is more precious than our valuable metals. It tells us that our faith is worth more than gold. So that's just wealth. What about food? If you want to find fulfillment in food, Jesus Christ in John chapter 4 and chapter 6 talks about giving water that takes all thirst from you and bread that removes all hunger from you. Are you chasing after a job to fill your fridge and make your house big? Jesus Christ promises a house with many rooms for all who believe. He promises to feed us every week from his table and give us something to drink that will give us lasting fulfillment from the bread and the cup. How about a memorial? You want your name to last? You want to be remembered? Great. The book of Revelation tells us those who are in Jesus Christ will be clothed in white and their names will always be remembered in the book of life. Not only that, but the Savior, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords says, He will confess our names before God in heaven and all the angels. Our name will be spoken by Jesus Christ. How's that for finding fulfillment in memorial? You will not be forgotten by the God of heaven and Earth. He will never leave you or forsake you. You will be brought into the family of God with brothers and sisters, sons and daughters and daughters. Far more than we could ever imagine. Far more than we have could ever create. You will live forever with your Savior, who grants you eternal life. That's a memorial. It's not even a contest in comparison to the wishes people are trying to find. You're wishing too small. Finally, we come to morality. You want to find goodness. You want purpose in this life under the sun and the promise that all things will be good. Well, God in heaven came down as a child, grew up in this difficult world, this life under the sun, and he died to bring us true goodness. He showed us what truly good things were by dying on the cross for evildoers. Paul says that Jesus Christ became goodness for us. We lacked any goodness. We couldn't figure out what was good. We are in this life under the sun and we ask the question, who knows what is good for a man in this world? And God said, here, here's my son, Jesus Christ. He came to give you what is good. And not only that, he promises to right every wrong, to wipe away every tear. When we leave our bickering for what is good and what is evil up to the one who rules over heaven and earth, We find that he will lead us in goodness and mercy. He will show us what true love is. All of us, Christian and non-Christian, we've been trying to find fulfillment in something that will not bring us fulfillment. We've been aiming too low. But Jesus Christ is here. He's offering himself and all his benefits to us right now. Take them. We will not be disappointed. We will not find, we will find what is truly good in this life and we will discover what comes after. It's eternal rest with our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your Son who is the true fulfillment of all things, of all our desires. He is far greater than we realize. Help us to cling to him in our midst. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.